beginning is a very delicate time. Welcome to Torn Stubs with me, photographer Robert Gershenson, and Josh Winning, the greatest film critic you've never heard of. And we're going to the movies to celebrate the release of Dune, directed by Denis Villeneuve. We watched Dune 1984, directed by David Lynch. And we have some guests. Please welcome from the Chasing Chalamet podcast, Dane and Will. Hello, boys. Hello, hello. Hi, everybody. How are we doing? We're good. I feel like we've been talking about doing this episode for so long. I think I first discovered the Chasing Chalamet podcast in lockdown one, which for us was at the start of the pandemic, when I used to go on these long 90-minute walks just to stop myself ballooning into the size of the Baron. And I put <laughs> Timothy Chalamet into I put Timothy Chalamet into the search box on the podcast app expecting to find some interviews with him and i found this podcast called chasing chalamet and i thought oh we're gonna do a dune collaboration uh-huh. with these guys immediately so it's been a long did you long say that time. first or wow these people have too much time on their hands to make a chasing shallow or to make a timothy, timothy chalamet podcast no i was like thank the maker someone's done a timothy chalamet <laughs> podcast <laughs> And they're chasing him. So, and, in, and in this situation, it's thank the maker in a different form. In a different, well, the original form, yeah. the form that was ripped off. Yeah, well, well, that is true. You know, without Dune, there is no Star Wars. So let's get <laughs> into it. The desert planet Arrakis, a.k.a. Dune, has been under the stewardship of the barbaric house of Harkonnen, where they have been mining the precious spice melange. When the Emperor transfers care of the planet to the House Atreides, headed up by Duke Leto, the Harkonnens fight back, launching an attack that results in the death of the Duke. His son, a dreamer and potential messiah, is cast into the unforgiven desert with his mother, the nun-like Jessica, where they meet the Fremen, the planet's indigenous people. Here, Paul will face his ultimate destiny, and also some really big worms. Okay, round table. <laughs> Had you seen this before? And what was your expectation? Will, let's go with you. Um, I, will, I will need to start by, you sounded exactly like Virginia Madsen just then. <laughs> yeah, it was uncanny. Huh? The beginning is a very delicate the time. Spice. It's where she, where she oh, looks like I an angel on top say. of a tree. Um, <laughs> she does. And she goes, oh, I forgot to say. Which I love how she fades she out and fades is, back fully aware that it's a movie <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. she's like she's using the crossfade in final cut pro the crossfade um, and she goes oh i forgot to say everyone there's a sale on at virgin megastores <laughs> watch candy man use the other code dune <laughs> oh she in candy man yeah she yeah. was the helen candy man mm-hmm. Who is she? Is she Candyman? Hello. She looks so different. Yeah, she's got the hook. Helen, Helen, yeah. Ludo scared Helen. <laughs> but Will, have you seen this before? I have not. I had not seen Dune until until this last week. Also, after I had Whoa. finished reading the book. Oh my god, you finished it! I did. 
It was arduous and painful, but I did it. Right, because the last time I, I went and listened to the trailer reaction episode we did on your po- you guys' podcast, and you were 22 pages in, uh-huh. and I was 130. So I'm happy to hear that you advanced further than 22 pages. I did. I'm I did. still on page 130. No, and I'm not going to. I will tell I, you. I found it like... It was like sludging through treacle. And now that I've seen the Denis Villeneuve vision, I don't want the Frank Herbert vision. I want the Denis Villeneuve vision. So I I don't even want to read the book. I will tell you, if you go to the back part of the book, the part that is like book three, The Prophet, it becomes very nonlinear and moves much quicker. And it's much more interesting than everything that comes before it. But you have to get through how many pages? What, 400 pages? Oh, I'd say mm, closer to five, five fifty to get to That's that point. That's just ridiculous. <sighs> Fuck that! I'll just wait. I'll just wait two years for the next installment of Daniel Villeneuve. Yeah, the Akonans. What was your expectation, Will, when you sat down to watch the the David Lynch vision? I, I knew that it would be. I knew that it would be odd. I knew that it would be. It would be unintentionally funny, and I knew. <laughs> I knew that it would have a degree of camp, but I had no, I didn't realize it would be as campy and as kind of cheap feeling as it was. And I honestly, I think that is the strength of it, (laughs) is the fact that it is, it leans toward the ridiculous, whether or not that was anyone's intention. Well, I was going to say, you know, do you think it was made with the the best of intentions i think in to some degree i think the production design was made with great intentions i think things look great um i mean physical things look great the special effects are all they're certain they're certainly um, you're certainly there and even they are there but they <laughs> they have they definitely have a feeling of when you have the high watermark of you know, Star Wars and Alien and Aliens, all everything that was happening around that same time looking much better. You see yeah. this and you're just like, this looks like it was made. This is like a cable access Star Wars. Well, like Terminator came out the same year and Terminator is this really gritty, grungy sci-fi, like kind of pessimistic sci-fi. Um, and then you look at June and you're like, that came out the same year? That's just crazy. It's insane. it's insane to think that like all three original Star Wars movies came out before Dune and they all look and you watch those now and like, you know, it's not that the special effects are incredible by today's like, you know, digital effects standards, but they look really good for the time and they hold up because they're so mm-hmm. practical. This just looked shoddy, you know, at best. But there's something charming about it now yes. in hindsight. Anything held up with strings uh, Dane... is charming. <laughs> yes. It's like the opening or the opening credits to the original Star Trek TV series mm-hmm. 25 years before this came out. Dane, um, I'm hesitant to ask, um, although I did see your Instagram post last night where you showed how many stars you gave this version of Dune on Letterboxd. Yeah, uh, so... I had not seen Dune. I've not read the book. I purposefully decided to go see the new Dune first because that is the one that I was excited for. I obviously, like, to me, Denny, all of it, like, I was just so excited for Dune. You know, movie theaters are back, baby. We're going to see Dune. Um, 
So, because of that, I did not go and watch this new one first. I watched it either the next night or the night after. Um, And I sort of regret that, because I wish that I could have experienced Dune 1984, like, in a vacuum, and not... um, have had like the awesomeness of the uh the new version in my head at the same time i think if i hadn't seen the new one i would have had no idea what the fuck was going on even though 1984 dune is like drenched in exposition and like monologuing and just like heaving like monologue dialogue at you i would have been so lost had i not seen the new one which i just think does an infinitely better job of like laying the land um, but that being said, I agree with everything that Will said. It is it is charming to a degree. I want to say, like, my full Letterboxd review was something like, this is very silly and low-key genius, but also bad. Um, so, yeah, I didn't, I didn't love Dune. And I think another caveat to this whole, my whole feeling on it is, I am someone who has yet to understand David Lynch. Like, I've never connected with anything that he's done. And I know this is a bit of, like, an outlier in his filmography because he doesn't really take credit for it. He thinks of it as a massive disappointment. He doesn't like talking about it, etc. So it's kind of unfair to, like, wrap this into my, like, I don't get David Lynch thing. Um, But it is important to note that I have yet to um, really connect with a David Lynch film at all. Uh, and at the end of the day, I'm not shocked that Dune wasn't the one to clinch it for me. So I completely get what you mean there. I've I've seen Dune 2021 three times now. First wow. saw it about a month ago with a press screening, and I've seen it twice this weekend. Friday and Saturday night. And it was on Friday night that I realized I now know what the story of Dune is. Even though I've seen Dune... 1984 multiple times i've never understood what the fuck was going on because at one point and it's roughly around the same time it's roughly around the same point that dune 2021 ends that this dune 1984 goes completely gobbledygook and it just goes on fast forward so i've never fully understood even the first half of the dune story because it's so fast forward it's so brushed over it is it really does it is about a hundred pages of the book like Mm. ever so much is just cut out to just zoom through it's like it's um i was surprised that how the duncan idaho character is essentially like this wedge antilles figure that just kind of appears and that's all yeah he has no payoff in the the Lynch film, does he? he has, he's just kind of vanishes, he's just like right? he's just like, oh hi, I'm your best friend, Paul. And then you never see him again. <laughs> and the uh, the he, what's his name? he comes the back. King. He does no, come back because it's of... um, it's Picard, isn't it? Well, that's Gurney Halleck. Oh, that's Gurney, right? Okay, yes, right, yes. That's um, Josh Brolin's character, who I think so I think Aquaman I think never comes think back. Yes, Patrick Stewart does a does a a great job i think he's i think he you know does pretty well that moment where he runs into battle with a pug attached to his chest is absolutely adorable i loved it what's going on with all the dogs that is one thing i'll say about about dune 2021 is we got a lot more bagpipe and a lot less pug um and i I think that maybe that was that was a creative decision um, attached to some milking device 
stuff going on. Yeah. Um, I was doing a little, I was doing like a little IMDb deep dive research today, and there was something in there about how, um, I think that Lynch said that he didn't realize he was casting that Patrick Stewart, he thought he was casting another actor named Patrick Stewart, um, (laughs) and then it seemed like they just didn't want to tell him, so I'm kind of certain that the Patrick Stewart casting was a big mistake. That being said, I do enjoy it. Well, Patrick Stewart lends it a Shakespearean gravitas. And what I was going to say this earlier, this Dune feels like a Shakespearean version of Masters of the Universe that would come out a couple of years later. Yes, I totally thought that in that that. scene where the three guys first come into Paul in that big giant dining room. I was like, this feels like Shakespeare, but in like a weird far-flung corner of the universe. Even even the reaction to like, the way he talks about hearing their footsteps and knowing them and yeah it is shakespearean exposition joshua uh silly question because i know you've already seen it because you saw it for the first time with me but have you seen it yeah you took me to see it (laughs) at the prince charles cinema like what was it about five years ago was it an anniversary maybe no it was longer no it was just on it it was it was just on the cinema it was a long time ago yeah, yeah. It was played by it was played on thirty five mil. Yes, it was really scratchy and sort of messed up, and uh, <laughs> you know I love that. I love it when they show the original reels; it, it looks amazing. Mm. Yeah, I didn't I didn't love it the first time. I was extremely confused, and I was not looking forward to watching <laughs> it again. Um, but then I kind of I kind of um, I've, I kind of feel the same way about Dane in some ways, where watching the twenty twenty one version in between those two viewings of the 98-1984 version helped me to actually grasp the story, grasp like who the players are, what everyone is actually trying to do. Because the hilarious thing about the Lynch film is there is so much exposition. And not only that, but also internal insight into their internal thinking and their thoughts. And yet you still have no idea what is going on. You know, it's almost like this barrage of information. Um there's so many strange sounding names, um, you know, and so, yeah. So, yeah, I've seen it, I've seen it before, didn't love it. This time I had a really good time. I've, I think <laughs> because I, I knew the story by now, I knew who all the characters were, were meant to be. It was just like this fascinating glimpse into um, sort of David Lynch's version of Dune, but but not necessarily his version either because mm-hmm. he was so hampered by the studio. So it's this really odd relic from the 1980s that is fascinating to watch, um, but isn't, like Dane said, it's not a good film. <laughs> How do you feel about the inner monologues in this version? Well, they don't add anything because all of the things they are thinking are really obvious anyway. Um, there's there's a few moments, like the one where Sting says, I wish this was Paul when he's beating up the the duke the dad was just laugh out loud funny because it's like we don't need you to say that it's it's obvious that's how you feel that is the struggle of reading the book is it is it similar in the book oh the entire book half of the book it's it's insane because you hear what they say and then you have everyone's inner monologue (laughs) and it's just exhausting yeah i've been reading comic books since i've been reading comic books since the 90s you know, or from the 80s, actually. So I'm used to reading characters in a monologue. Oh, for sure. You know, Batman and Superman are really chatty fuckers inside of their heads. 
but I don't need that in a novel. I don't need that in a film. You don't need. You know, I would much rather. You have. don't need two and a half inches of it. Like, that book is just... enormous. For people who can't see, obviously the vi- the the video, Will has picked up the book and yeah. it is the size of a brick. It's huge. Yeah, you could kill a man with that. You could kill. <laughs> you could kill a giant space bug vagina monster encased in its own its own movable tank that's pissing out uh, can we talk water. Can, we, can we talk about the vagina mouth monster that speaks with the emperor <laughs> so this is the this is the navigator who comes out who comes to the who comes to the emperor to basically say you need to do this treacherous thing mm. why is this necessary? <laughs> and this was one of the most confusing parts to me because there was probably about two minutes where I was thinking, is this how Lynch did the Baron? Is that the Baron? Like, I did I too. Was, I, yeah. yes. I was like, holy shit, they really committed to this, like, fat disgustingness thing that was only sort of hinted <laughs> at in the new version. And then I grasped ultimately that it was not the, the Baron. It was just a... Um, a vagina monster which maybe they did to balance out the sandworm butthole later like i mean maybe they were just going for equality yeah. there like that might make sense i like that theory it just i love the bit where he floats around in sort of like a vacuum of space and points out planets and just bizarre kind of beautiful ballet balletic kind of moment <laughs> of complete nonsense that scene is not in the book right will I don't, I mean, I don't think so. He does, because the Baron is, he's never walking because he's too big. But that's not the Baron. That's the Navigator. Oh, oh, That's the the Galactic Navigator. Oh. In the new version, there's a Galactic Navigator and it's the black dude that shows up on Caladan. Mm -hmm. When when Leto says, smile, Gurney. And Gurney goes, I am smiling. And then the black dude turns up. But he's not, he's not a giant vagina monster no yeah so this is a creation this is a new scene written by lynch this is this is much like the weirdling the weirdling model uh module like it's just created yeah but it it removes any mystery in the first half of the film because the whole point is you don't know that this this plot has happened you just Mm -hmm. know that the artrades are now taking over dune uh, previously the Harkonnens were looking after Dune and now they're buggering off for some strange reason and they're actually part of a big plot to kill the Atreides to kill Paul but with the inclusion of this vagina monster it removes all mystery mm-hmm. so now you just have to watch it play out in quite boring scenes which is because which... there's no there's no jeopardy which is just like the book where it's, you know, from the beginning that I'm Princess Irulan and I'm married to Paul Maldib, who is like, you know, from the beginning how it ends. And you're just oh, like, they just like let that go in the beginning of the book. Oh, I mean, that's essentially what all of the chapter headings are, are mostly stories mm. from Princess Irulan talking about Paul. I asked you about this last night after we got out of French Dispatch because we were we were doing like a little preview to the discussion today. Um, and I was like, okay, I hate when a movie wastes Virginia Madsen. Please tell me that there's, like, a reason 
she like has this like brief cameo at the end but then introduces the movie like what's the point of that and then you explained that she's actually like a i don't want to say like a narrator in the book but her her storytelling is part of how they present the narrative in dune which again makes sense once you know that but as someone who's coming into this having just seen the new version and all of a sudden like you said um christmas tree topper virginia madsen is like (laughs) telling me this story i'm just like what in the fuck is going on well it's very much has the energy of the oh oh hello there i I didn't see you walk up well i've got a story for you (laughs) let me tell you a story about more adib so many different pronunciations it's modib more adib maudib maudib Yeah, coming into this recording today, I was, like, so nervous about mispronouncing any of those names, and then I just decided, no, fuck you, it, it doesn't matter. Well, it's like... I don't think you have I to worry so... about anyone on Twitter trying to cancel you. There's no more dibs around or any Fremens going, uh, no, no. I'll stick to all, like, the very boring names, like Paul or Jessica or my personal favorite. There is nothing funnier to me than the idea in, uh, what year does this take place in? Like, 101.69 or something like that? 10191. Explain to me how in that year the name Duncan Idaho exists. Like, please tell me where that came from. Because that is absolute ridiculousness. I mean, according to the book, the, people are still pretty regularly reading the Holy Bible. So, Well, yeah, I was going to say, does this exist within Christianity? Well, there's a Duncan and in the Idaho film, in the Bible. He yes. becomes the hand of God, doesn't he? Oh, they, they, re- they are quote There are... References to scripture and talks of the the original Bible. Hmm. And it's like, that's odd. It feels so incongruous because it's such a sci-fi world. Well, he, Is Frank Herbert like uber Christian? Well, he's, he's obsessed with everything that's ever happened in the Middle East. So I'm sure he's obsessed with all of the related religions that were born hmm. from there. But it's all very them. odd. Thinking about the Christianity aspect of it, because obviously, like, there's the Chosen One story, there's a Messiah story, like, there's religious undertones and subtext, but if we, if, in the book, it's getting even more into scripture and stuff, which leads me to believe that Frank Herbert might be a little religious, and then we start talking about how the Baron is portrayed as a uh, pedophiliac homosexual, there's just Mm. a lot to dig up there <laughs> so yeah. that was going to be my next question. which is so much more explicit i i don't want to keep comparing the new and the old version because i i want to take the older version for what it is but i can't help but think about the portrayals of the baron in the Denis villeneuve version versus the lynch version because in the lynch version he is pretty explicitly queer coded mm-hmm. yes. based oh, on yeah. that scene I'll, I'll say based on two scenes one the scene where he just like goes after the one little insubordinate man and then sure. having sting step out of like a sauna bath in a metal g-string <laughs> which another imdb trivia tidbit originally he was supposed to be fully nude in that scene and at the last minute the producers freaked out and they built him that little metal uh bikini thing <laughs> wow sting would have done it sting would have done it but yeah like i'm just his, i'm tickled nails... i'm tickled by the idea of sting agreeing to do a nude scene in dune like i just i, I find that absolutely but he was really delightful. going for it like he was he was acting in it in inverted commas you could see him like i'm crazy i'm on the edge i could snap any second you know he's really going for that character well let's hope for a scene like that in the new one with chalamet in part two 
do we know who Fade Router will be? We don't know any casting yeah. for the new version. No. I wonder if they're going to gender flip some of the characters the way they did in the 2021 film. That'd be cool. Yeah, Kynes was um, was mm. changed. But the, the Baron, I find in, incredibly problematic. Oh. Such a modern word. Problematic. For... The, but did the Baron did the Baron feel shame for the way that he felt? I don't think so. I really don't think so because in in the book and I mean even in the way that he's portrayed in the Lynch movie, just kind of being being so gouty, like having all the sores and being treated and he's like, Oh, I want all these beautiful things around me. He was still lavish in his grotesqueness. Like I don't <laughs> I don't think I don't think uh Vladimir Harkonnen uh, feels any shame. You know and I mean, he's like, why should I, I don't change think he feels shame for being a big fat bloater with, with dodgy skin. But there is the scene where he's leering at Sting and Sting's his nephew. And he seems to be restrained in his leeriness. He doesn't go straight after him like he went for the Twinkie guy and he didn't blood rape him to death. He's just leering at him, and then he screams, "Where is my doctor?" As if, but he's yeah. admitting, "I know there's something wrong with me." But is it because he's so he's got the doctor telling him, "You're beautiful, you're so beautiful," when mm-hmm. he's injecting him with all that stuff? So he, the Baron, is almost in living in this complete echo chamber of people telling him how fabulous he is, but then he kind of knows when someone as stunning as Sting walks out of a sauna, mm-hmm. he's confronted with the fact that, no, you really are a pretty disgusting Baron, I'm sorry. So maybe he's conflicted <laughs> in that moment ah, between that's reality a re- and what, he needs. He needs that, that echo chamber sort of validation. He, needs, mm. he basically needs to be on Twitter being told he's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and who like Trump, doesn't? Just like Trump. <laughs> yeah when when well is the baron trump why are they all ginger why are the bad guys ginger why was that it a, is a strange a decision it is a strange wrinkle that's just the way things are on gady prime prior to this david lynch turned down return of the jedi he was signed on to do red dragon but that went tits up he is quoted as saying i've never liked science fiction i like elements but it needs to be combined with other genres. Dino De Laurentiis, who produced this movie, hated a razor head. So why the fuck did Lynch sign on? And why the fuck did Dino De Laurentiis hire him? Yeah. And Lynch hadn't read the book either. He'd only read the scripts. I, yeah. And again, like I, I come back to my, I are like, I have issues with Lynch in general. So I, I don't want to come at it with like too negative a tone, but in thinking about it, so before Lynch does this, he does Eraserhead, and he does The Elephant Man, which was, like, a big, like, uh, like accolade-driven film. Like, it got a bunch of Oscar nominations. I don't think he was nominated for director, but, like, it got nominations I think he for was. picture. I think John Hurt I think he was, was nominated. For, he was nominated for director for Elephant Man. Oh, he was? Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, and, and I mean, obviously a lot's changed in, you know, the past 30 years of Hollywood, but I almost feel like a natural path for a director now is to make something that really does well critically and gets like, you know, award accolades. And then they're kind of handed this, um, you know, uh, big budget, particularly sometimes sci-fi project, like a much different trajectory, but think, and obviously she won after she'd already shot Eternals, but think about Chloe Zhao 
doing the rider and then Nomadland and now she's directing Eternals like it seemed it seems like that is a natural path for filmmakers to have a big um rapturously um received debut or early debuts and then go into sci-fi so maybe that was just you know let's hand him the keys to this like you know monstrous huge thing that could be huge but maybe at that point they didn't know that like David Lynch is low-key like a weirdo um and then (laughs) you know he he wanted to make like his Shakespearean drama with it well he he didn't do that (laughs) (laughs) well I didn't say it was successful I'm just saying maybe that's what he (laughs) thought it was going to be he is quoted as saying I didn't really feel I had permission to make it my own. Dino and Raffaella, I think Raffaella is Dino De Laurentiis' daughter. She was Mm. also the producer. Dino and Raffaella wanted something. And then there was the book, trying to stay true to that. Mm. Mm. And it seems like it is like the ultimate predicament. And we see it a lot in the Marvel Universe, in the DC Universe, the Star Wars Universe, Harry Potter, his dark materials. Is it the case that the IP, the source material, has always been the star and the director has to bow to the source material. I think that is... I mean, I think that's a big part of this movie. And I have thoughts on that in relation to the Villeneuve too. But there are such big plot points that aren't linearly connected. So to make them fit together within the umbrella of one film is hard. Yeah. And that's why they rely on the voiceovers and the, you know, all the internal stuff trying to link it all up. And this was a time when they didn't think, Oh, I'm going to get three. I mean, I, I did read that Virginia Madsen revealed that she signed like a three picture deal. So I think they hoped Mm. to make sequels, but at the same time, there wasn't the culture that we have now where even though it's not confirmed, it's, kind of all but confirmed we're going to get a Dune Part 2 um, following the Villeneuve version. But back then, I, I'm sure they felt that they needed to adapt the entire book, which is, mm-hmm. m- for, my, for my two cents, to its detriment. Because, they you know, you get to the scenes where Paul and Jessica meet the Fremen and go into the desert, and then all of a sudden it's the most expository, you know... Uh, voiceover of the entire movie mm-hmm. where we're just supposed to all of a sudden believe in his relationship with um Ch- chani Ch- Ch- how do you pronounce her name chaney like yeah there's there's just no there's no emotional connection to any of that yeah and they fast forward like must be five years because mm-hmm. the sister becomes a kid well that's that is the book fast forward the yeah. full two years and um alia because she is in Jessica, when Jessica drinks the water of life that makes her become the reverend mother of the Fremen, that makes her age quicker. So she's she's physically aging faster, so she's developing quicker, and she has the the brain, she has the knowledge of all the known universe, and also speaks like an adult. So that's why everyone's afraid of this. <laughs> Even the Bene Gesserit. Her voice was so are, funny. The Bene Gesserit being I like, know. she's a curse, killer, killer. uh, but yeah the book does that fast forward too um and it's just weird it's just (laughs) no it's just like you feel like the carpet's been whipped out from underneath you jessica basically disappears from the movie doesn't she yeah we see which is wild sand with the fremen and then boom she's she's fucked off which is odd because she remains 
important in the book. And like that relationship means a lot because their connection is that's the strongest familial connection. I mean, obviously because Leto is dead, but their connection by way of Bene Gesserit training and everything that they go through in the desert together, they are very closely bonded. And then ultimately they're bonded by the water of life. But to have Jessica just uh, go off and shave her head and wear a funny hat, um, <laughs> it's, it's, I think it's to the detriment of the story because that, that relationship is, is really one of the primary things in the source material that is, you know, emotional and grounding and makes sense. But there isn't much of an effort in this version to allow those emotional moments to breathe. No, it's so no. it's so quick. It's it's basically. I just I get the feeling with this. What was driving the film was just plot, just occurrences, just a set piece. Let's get to this dot, this dot, and this dot. Let's just get it over with. And I wonder if there was more, and. This just became a complete hack job in the editing studio to fit oh, it, it within it to did. hit to fit it within something that was uh, of a sellable length. But even if this was mm-hmm. let's even had half an hour longer, it would be unbearably long to watch, and it wouldn't make much more sense anyway. Well, because the first hour is so much preamble, so much, so much. But the point that this film gets to when. And Paul and Jessica are meeting the Fremen. That's the end of the Denis Villeneuve version. But this film version carries Mm. on for another 45, 50 minutes. So we've got the rest of the story condensed down. So it's even it's even more skipped over and it becomes incredibly boring. And I and that hurts to say that about a Lynch film. This film was shot on 16 sets across eight sound stages for a film that is set outside it feels so indoors it feels like (laughs) a sitcom from the 1970s or a shitty bbc play it is an incredible doctor who energy yes like patrick mcgee era not like well peter capaldi and that said there is like like the the dalek dildo fighting thing In one scene, what? There's the like, what? like, you mean the thumper? About the, are you talking about the thumper? <laughs> no, not not the thumper. But there's like this this. Uh, I don't remember because I was talk. I was uh, one of the devices that's shooting things out. It's just like this kind of dollar. Oh, device. oh, the thing that like the, the thing that Paul thing. fights. Where it oh, like... that the training. You mean the training yes, thing in the training thing? Yes, like an old. T-urn. I didn't get dildo energy from yeah. that, but I'm really glad that you did. scene actually. I mean, that scene felt like a, a double climax because you had the you had the the training fight yeah. with the the shields with um, Gurney, him going the slow blade pierces the armor, and then he walks in next door and does this whole other caboodle with the mm-hmm. the fucking fighting tear. Then he's got the weird like Polaroid camera gun strapped to his knuckles. It's too much. It's too much. It's fucking much. That's the weird thing but, about the film. that They're trying to cram so much in, and yet there are so many superfluous scenes that don't need to be there. Yeah, and I wonder, it's so sprawling. It's so big, right? This whole thing is so big. Lynch is very much about 
finding something micro and becoming so obsessed with it that he makes it the macro. Mm -hmm. He's so obsessed with the small details, whether it's in like blue velvet going into the ear or mm -hmm. in Twin Peaks, something about the coffee or the donuts or the trees. And a lot of his work is so local. It's all about the small environment. Dune is already this massive thing. It's set across like four planets and then multiple locations on each planet with all these different characters. Was it already too macro for him to handle? I think that's exactly it. Yeah, it's like a huge canvas. Yeah, and like thinking about that, especially with like Mulholland Drive or Twin Peaks, like those are mythologies that Lynch created. And here he's working with already a pre-existing story and a pre-existing Bible of content. And I think, I think it was like, it was probably a really difficult lesson for him to learn that he wants to dive into those micro details and he wants to focus on these small weird moments but within a pre-existing he world, won. he's going to fall flat on his face because he's he's ultimately not in control of it and he's ultimately not the author mm -hmm. of it. Going back to what you were saying, Rob, about IP, like I, I do think in this instance, IP like is the king, for lack of a better term, of Dune. And Lynch wants to control and I don't mean control in a negative way. Just he is he is so he is such an auteur voice that. In, mm -hmm. in adapting something... Like, that's why, like, I don't think Lynch shouldn't have done Return of the Jedi then, or I don't think he should direct a Star Wars movie now. It's just, he need I think he needs too much... Oh, he, he wouldn't, would he? He wouldn't. Well, I think it's a matter... Can you really see needs... Can you really see Kathleen Kennedy going, and directing the next series of Mandalorian? This guy. Hi, everyone! I'm gonna make the Mandalorian! <laughs> I would love it to see David black and white. I just all want to see David Lynch direct Werner Herzog. He he does get obsessed. There's a great story where he was on the set of Dune and he was painting the inside of one of the cave sets a particular blue. And it took so long that he fucked up the schedule. And Raffaella said to him, well, you've kind of fucked the next four days. I'm taking four <laughs> days off the schedule. You now need to work out how you're going to shoot the rest of this this little block that we have to do. He doesn't operate well in such a large environment where he's controlled. Even with the recent Twin Peaks season three, he walked away at one point and said, they're not giving me control. They're not giving me the budget I need. Maybe he should have done that on Dune. I think he needs to have the space to be able to discover and create. And I mm. think Dune provides a lot of toys. It is... You can look at it as a prison or you can look at it as a toy box. And I think for Lynch, it was a prison for him to stick within mm -hmm. that as opposed to, okay, how can I take this and make this work? How can I make this work as a movie? How can I make this work as something that I want to put my name on? And I think that's how we got what we got. He was also tied into contracts because he mm -hmm. not only was not only was he told if you do Dune, I'll bankroll blue velvet so thank fuck he did because otherwise we wouldn't have blue velvet <laughs> and that's obviously the film that kind of saved his career but also he was yeah. he was contracted to write the follow-up film which was more of a low-key local story and he he said he much preferred what that film was going to be but thank god that june didn't make any money and they scrapped it they absolutely scrapped it towards the end of the film paul makes it rain not like a baller 
he literally makes it rain. And that obviously ruins spice production. So that made me worried for the sandworms. How are they going to survive in like muddy sand? They'll be fine. Yeah, they'll be fine. They're sandworms. But what's that going to what's that mean for the the economy in the galaxy? Everything is so reliant on spice production. If he's so, just fucked spice production, are the the indigenous people and the poor people in the galaxy going to be forced more into poverty and food banks and welfare? Well, I, I you can you can take that idea of it. Paul making it rain on that part of Arrakis is just terraforming those areas, and there's still like a band of desert that would make spice. Or he's flooding Arrakis to cripple the universe so that no one can travel. So that he's yeah. taking away the power of people using the spice as a drug and using it as a technological element to be, to frankly, as a god, flood the earth to start over. But we never see in this version, we never see space being bent, do we? I mean, obviously the, the Baron is pretty bent, but we never see them bending space and using it's just said for the film version that yeah, doesn't, doesn't hold doesn't it up say, does like it? we're gonna move by staying still or something when yeah. they're kind of moving to arrakis nothing really happens yeah but it is we'll move by I staying the, still i even think the movie does like talk about talk. how they use the spice for production and manufacturing because he who controls the spice controls everything how do we feel about the cast it, it is quite <laughs> the cast you've got Carl McLaughlin with a baby face. You've got Brad Dourif with his hands mm. and his eyes. What a king. We Stewart love Brad Dourif. With, oh, I love him too, but there's a lot of hands and a lot of eyes going on here. Patrick yeah. Stewart with his uh, l- later Barry Gibb hair. And was that meant to be a Scottish accent? Possibly. He's from Yorkshire. Sting, That's a, that... pants. Dean Stockwell with pants. his moustache. Oh my god. I'm surprised he wasn't tying Paul to the railroad tracks. <laughs> Max von Sydow, um Yeah. Have they aged Blinking him up? Missing. Have they aged him down? I can never tell with Max von Sydow. He's always been 90 years old to me. When he was in The Force Awakens, I was like, wait, wasn't he dead? Even in The Seventh Seal, I'm like, how old are you? I actually think Max von Sydow bought the original published version of the Bible. That's how old he is. <laughs> I think because they aged him up so much in The Exorcist, we as a culture will never understand how old Max von yeah. Sydow actually yeah. was when he was alive. No. Because when he died, you were like... Yeah, by Minority Report, he was about the age that he was meant to be in the exorcist but yeah he had no makeup on rob i want to go back to a point you made about kyle mclaughlin um would we call kyle mclaughlin baby-faced um just because okay and i i want to go around the yeah he's 25 here oh okay well then i i was going to ask how old everyone thought he was when he made this movie um it was 25 and i thought he looked 32 Mm. Um, yeah, he looks younger in he looks younger in Blue Velvet. Yeah, I think. Um, so he is the same age as Shalom. I think Shalom may have been a little bit younger when they actually shot it. Um, and you know, and I'm not gonna get nitpicky about twenty three. Paul's supposed to be fifteen, whatever. Like, I don't really give a shit about that stuff. Mm. When you see Timothy Chalamet, you can wrap your head around a teenager. (laughs) Kyle MacLachlan to me looked like a full ass adult, and I and I'm not coming for that. That's fine. Um. Yeah, but but Dune 1984 was made at a time when you could have TV shows that purport to have schoolboys. You know, Ferris Bueller is not 
a 15, 16 year old no. boy. It's an almost 30 year old Matthew Broderick. <laughs> it's like Dear Evan Hansen. He is way <laughs> old. Yeah, right? So I, 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 you know, I, I, I was rewatching Dune 2021 last night and Shalomay can pull off being 15. You know, he's a he's an incredibly physical actor. He knows how to play low status. He is slim. That helps. He looks young. Although there are scenes in this where I go, oh, he's actually really maturing. He looks so different mm-hmm. to how he yeah. did in Lady Bird, how different he looked in um, that Christmas movie that I can never get past the the first half an hour. What's it called? Coopers? Something- Love the Coopers. Love the Coopers. Um, and also Call Me By Your Name. So he's really maturing, you know, his bone structure, his odd, brilliant face. Bacar McLaughlin, um, baby-faced, yes. 15, no. Oh. No, 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 no. That's the casting choice that I think is is one of those that I'm like, it's it's fine. Uh, he, he as Paul is fine. Yeah. There's nothing... I, think of, I don't think there's any offensive I, about what he's doing. I think he... And, and again, I'm, I I fully admit to being the Lynch novice, but from what I understand, Lynch works with actors in a very um, unique way, is a way that I'll, I'll put it. Um, and I feel like on the Lynch scale of how he directs performances, and, and this is something we'll get into when we talk about Dune 2021 too, so much rests on Paul's shoulders that he can't ultimately be... Mm like the most interesting character the chosen one is never the most interesting character in any chosen one narrative um and i feel like kyle mclaughlin a 15 year old cannot be often. the most interesting no person. not often no luke skywalker wasn't interesting until the last jedi right um and yeah. we all know how that went with the fandom yeah i i, mm. I, I also like i really like a lot of the performances in this movie and, and i don't want to say grading on a curve because that is cruel but Within the context of this version of Dune, I think that everyone showed up and did what mm-hmm. needed to be done for this movie. Like, I don't think... You don't watch it and there's no performance mm-hmm. for me that's like, mm, this person seems like they're in a different movie. You know, like when you see those movies where, like, someone was given the direction to do something completely different than somebody else. I feel like everyone showed up to make David Lynch's Dune whether the final product worked or not. They're all so dour, though. They're all so sort of melodrama and, and heavy. And apart from the guy who plays the Baron yes. and who's the other one? Oh, like Sting. Um, everybody else is so melodramatic. Like, he's dead, like crying her eyes out of the ship. And it's just so oh. over the top. I mean, the, the choices made by Tufer Havat are very... That one? I mean, eyebrows withstanding. Tufer... Havat? Is that an actor? The, the Mentat for the House of Atreides, who ends up going to oh, the, the, oh, the stained him, mouth. Right, the one that gets kidnapped at the with, end. And... With the, with the yeah, yeah, yeah. Eyebrows. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I've met many people with eyebrows like that in real life. Is that a race of people with just stained lips and, and crazy eyebrows? No, yeah, it's just old Jewish men. Because there's a second one, isn't there, in the viewing pan- viewing room? Well, he and, he and Peter should have. There are both Mentats, so they should be. He and, and Brad uh, Dorov should be similar in their training, at least. But like that's mm-hmm. a that's a melodramatic performance. <laughs> what was that moment when he was like, "They're finding them too easily. They're finding the things too easy." I was like, "What is? Why are we seeing this moment? What does it add to anything?" <laughs> you got to ask David Lynch. Who knows? Who knows what was going through? And Dino well, De will have the answers. And who knows what was going will. through? David David Lynch said, "I." don't have the answers i don't think will has the answers i don't even think david lynch 
has the answers. Only Maudib has the answers. David Lynch is a f- is famously n- not about giving answers, so we probably shouldn't ask him. No, I mean he would never. He barely talks about Dune anymore, anyway. Oh, he's disowned um, it completely. I want to go round table. I want to know one positive thing that you really like about Dune, nineteen eighty four. Joshua, I'm going to start with you. We'll go backwards how we did last time. Love the music. I thought. The, the opening actually made me quite excited. Like, I know the Virginia Madison stuff is, is pretty um, <laughs> pretty in your face in lots of ways. But then the music, it segues into the music, which is beautiful. And then all of the title, the typeface for sort of like the credits, mm-hmm. they feel really epic. They feel like Spartacus or like Gladiator. You know, they feel properly grand and you feel like you're really in for something quite um, sort of refined and magical. And the fact that it doesn't deliver on that is you know by the by but for me i just thought the intro was great i love the i love the score to this i play it all the time mm. i love it i was singing i went to tesco and i had it stuck in my head uh well the thing that stands out most for me i uh i mean absolutely the battle pugs um that goes that's not that was standing <laughs> that's universal the the training scene with Gurney and Paul will live in my head forever. Just the Rock'em Sock'em Robots shields is iconic in its in whatever it's trying to do, which I don't know what they're trying to do, but I love it. It was like two massive refrigerators just barreling into each other. Well, yeah, or just like those those massive pieces of almost corrugated frosted glass that they have in campsite showers it's, it, it's like ha- it's like forcing funko pops to have sex it's like it's like just <laughs> when when they first like put them i don't want to say put them on when they first like activated them they reminded me of that fucking like wall robot character from interstellar the one that like runs with its like yes. spinning oh yeah <laughs> yes which looks like one of the channel four yeah. logos that we have you know that channel four thing that walks across yeah various stages so in over here we have a a channel called channel four Mm -hmm. and they have an ident where they're going and now strong language we've got yada 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 um and they've got like kids playing in the street with a giant channel four logo and it walks like the ones from (laughs) uh interstellar so it looks like karma glockens wearing a giant four um dane truth even though i don't think it is a good movie there is a lot i like about it and i'm still grappling with like how that can be um so my positives i think the production design is great um i think that um at the end of the day i love an epic swing even if it's a miss like i i respect that and i think that dune 1984 is nothing if not an epic swing Um, I, every time the Baron was on screen, whether I was horrified or offended or laughing, I enjoyed it. Um, I, and also another tidbit of trivia I found, the actor who played him, Kenneth McMillan, attended the same performing arts high school as Timothy Chalamet, so there's a connection there. Um, I No way! mm -hmm. Everything with him, uh, I found horrifying and interesting. Get them in the film together! (laughs) Um, and then, yeah, I just, the, there is something about the melodramatic 80s soap opera aesthetic that just, like, 
as a queer man will always vibe with me whether it's good or bad (laughs) and i think that like throughout the whole movie there was like a vein of it that i was enjoying and then the second we hit the end credits and it was like the crashing waves and the principal actors like turning to camera in like shadow and then their names being listed i just was like (laughs) yes oh my god yes absolutely everyone fucking work I loved that half of them were posed and half of them, they were just like cut out from scenes in the movie. It's like, <laughs> so was there a school picture day where everyone came in and like everyone yeah. pose with your pose like this, <laughs> with your hands on your knees and look. I love a curtain call. I fucking love a curtain call. It works for me every time. Uh, so yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just, I think that I, I threw a lot of things I liked about it um, for a movie. I ultimately don't like very much, but I think like the, the thing I will leave everyone with is, I love a noble failure, and I think Dude 1984 is a prime example of what a noble failure in the art of cinema can be. I really love the production design. I think it's, it's so such a good. Gorgeous. I would love an art book. Just the production yeah. design department's art book, just filled with all their preliminary sketches. It's such a good looking movie. Mm. It kind of looks like those 70s paperbacks. You know, 70s sci fi paperbacks had that, that mm-hmm. very those kind yeah. of sets and you know the the image of the um is she godmother what's her name with the the shaved head and the the bene Gesserit, the reverend mother the reverend mother yeah reverend like mother, that yeah. kind of character would yeah, always Jabba. appear on a 70s paperback cover oh uh josh you saying that actually made me think of one other thing that i liked that i wanted to bring up um i love that when his hand is in the box the the, the body horror that they do in that shot is really interesting mm. um this goes back to what we were saying about the new one where they get through a lot of, like, they cut a lot of the unnecessary dialogue just by, like, you know, acting uh, with their faces, which is really interesting. (laughs) Um, And I, and I, I love the box scene in the new one, but I just, the body, which I don't think the body horror thing would work in Villeneuve's version. Like, it's just not what that version's going for. But like, if in, in a Lynch version, like knowing what he can and has, like, and again, I haven't seen a lot of these movies, but I know there are a lot of his movies that have these, like, body horror and like crazy otherworldly elements to them and i felt like that was one moment where like lynch actually kind of tapped into being lynch at least from my very basic understanding of him as a director um seeing that really worked for me i think the body horror in this film isn't like cronenberg he's not doing it for shock value i genuinely think lynch finds beauty in the grotesque and the ugly and you see that across a lot of his other works in fact Mm -hmm. almost all of his other works so the the grotesque nature of the baron i don't think it's a judgment by lynch i no. genuinely think lynch thinks he's absolutely stunning not in not in a gay way but just in a i'm really into how grotesque and, mm. and pimply and you know like gold member peeling oh it's a keeper it's a keeper just that kind well, of, kind of how i felt of... about the grand high witch um played by angelica yeah. houston like when i was a kid i was completely mesmerized by just how hideous she was is that why you do a podcast with me <laughs> i'm just i'm obsessed with looking at your face <laughs> That was Dune, directed by David Lynch. Joshua, 
We don't have any other specials coming up, but later in the year, we're going to have our Christmas episode and we are going to have our end of year episodes. And we're still, still, I don't know how we're still doing it, but we are still celebrating 21st century horror. (laughs) So check that out on Spotify, Apple Podcasts and Acast. Joshua, where can the conversation continue? We're at Torn Stubbs Pod. So come let us know what you thought of the 1984 Dune. And then, what about you guys? Where can we find you? Tell us your inner monologues in tweet form. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you can you can find uh, the pod at Chasing Chalamet on Instagram, on Twitter. Uh, we're Chal- Ch- Chalamet. We're Chalamet Chasing. Uh, I'm also on Twitter and Instagram at the Dane McDonald. Will you want to tell the people where they can find you and stalk you and send you nice little messages? Oh, I love attention. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at. <laughs> Will Bybee, W-I-L-L-B-I-B-Y. We are going to jump over to the Chasing Chalamet podcast and discuss everything around Dune 2021. So go and listen to that. We are off to do a sand walk. Until next time, I remain Robert Gershenson. I'm Josh Winning. I'm Will Bybee. I'm Dane McDonald. Cut.